The greatness of a community is most accurately measured by the compassionate actions of its leaders and volunteers. Every week, founder of the community Big Hearts, Stu Starkey, will place the spotlight on leaders and volunteers, highlight key stories and statistics, and share insights to educate listeners and inspire everyone to have greater impact in their communities. Welcome to the community of Big Hearts. Welcome back, everybody, to the community of Big Hearts. This week, we have Cindy Wagman with us, and now, as usual, Damian Crowley, our co-host. Hello, hello. Um, Cindy Wagman is an author, podcaster, and runs an amazing business um, that focuses on raising funds for those businesses that need it most. Those pound for pound, the best charities out there having the most impact so, Cindy, you're doing incredible things out there. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about your business. Yeah. So I started The Good Partnership to help small charities raise money. I've worked in small charities and I've worked in large charities, always as an in-house fundraiser. Mm. And the needs that they have are a little different and uh, it's not a one size fits all approach. Like it's usually taught. And so when I started the good partnership, I knew that I wanted to help small organizations who are on the ground doing meaningful, impactful, uh, quote unquote, less sexy work, but that they, uh, they needed, they needed to embrace fundraising. And one of the things that's been clear over the last six and a half years of doing this work is that most of those organizations are full of what I call reluctant fundraisers, people who fundraise because they have to, but they don't like it. And so now a lot of our focus is on actually trying to change that for people and, and help people embrace fundraising. You are a special breed. Uh <laughs> the one that has the passion to go raise funds. I, I sit on the board of a few organizations and that's the one thing that they struggle to do, just find the people with the passion that know how to do it. Um, so it must be such a godsend for those organizations that really can't afford to have a specific philanthropic biz, uh, business growth person yeah. in the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I remember looking at your information, your website and what you do in your experience. I thought, oh, we got to get her involved in the organizations I'm in. Um, awesome. So hopefully after this call, we can get into that. You've always had, it looks like a passion for fundraising uh, from what we read. Do you know where that came from? I actually, I don't really, well, I can, I can give you sort of the origin story of how I discovered fundraising as a profession. Um, I've always been involved in the nonprofit sector. I volunteered in high school as a peer support counselor. And uh, so, so I, it's always been, the, the sector has always been on my radar. I mean, I grew up, I would say, in a pretty privileged uh, house and environment. So I always thought, you know, what am I, what are you going to be when you're older? The answers with all my peers were like, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. I want to be a, this professional accountant. Da, da, da. And none of those fit my, me. I never once thought any of those things, mm. and, but I didn't know. And I felt really 
lost in university. And, and I felt like I didn't really have a path, almost dropped out. And then one summer, I actually met two people who were professional fundraisers. And I don't know why, but it clicked. I was like this, I can be involved in the nonprofit community. I can do the work that lights me up. And I like fundraising. It's creative. It's always a little different. And I get to see the most generous side of people. So when it all came together, it was just like, you know, ah. and then I literally, that's that's all I've been doing since. That was probably about 20, maybe just over 20 years ago. So now it's, it's like the only thing I know. It's so cool to um, hear when people first find that sense of duty to their community. Mm. Um, it just lights them up. And, and especially in, in cases like this, where you're like uh, providing such a value to those most vulnerable, um, that sense of duty uh, gives yes, so much reward, so much passion, not just in helping, but for the person who's doing it. And you can hear it in your voice. It's so cool. Thanks. I, I love the way you frame that as a sense of duty because that really is. And it sounds so, uh, it's like fundraising is your duty. It sounds a little crazy for most people who think fundraising is the opposite. They're like, that's so (laughs) icky. I don't want to do that. But, um, I do see it as a, as such a powerful tool to affect change and, uh, and I do really, really love it as much as I, as I said, love small organizations and want to see them succeed. Can you tell us a, a, one of your favorite stories uh, for the impact that you've had on one of those small organizations, teaching them how to fundraise? Oh my goodness. Yes. I have so many. <laughs> um, I'll give you two quick ones. So One is an organization that we're working with uh, right now, and they work with uh, their, their, the the name of the organization is the Learning Disabilities Association of um, Halton Hamilton. And they work with young people who have learning disabilities and they support them in their academic um, success. And very often with organizations that work with young populations or serve uh, people who are um, perceived to be disadvantaged uh, by the system in any way. And certainly uh, I've seen how schools can absolutely disadvantage uh, people with learning disabilities. But, um, you know, we, we don't like to ask people for money if there are clients or if there are service users. We want to protect them. Uh, we think that they're not in a position to give. And that's not been my experience. So when we started working with this organization, we actually developed uh, what's called a peer-to-peer campaign where we had their youth ambassadors be the ones out there raising money. And in one month, they raised $10,000. And that for, for the first time they've ever run a fundraising campaign. Uh, and we see this with other organizations, different types of fundraising, but that one is just one where it's like everything kind of came together. And to me, it's just a testament to the value of that organization, to the community they serve. Um, 
that's one. I had a coffee this week with uh, someone who's on the board of one of the uh, an organization we've done some work with, but it was funny because the way we work is we do fundraising implementation. And in a lot of ways, when we start talking to organizations, they think it's too good to be true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's exactly what this person said to me. She's like, when we met you a few years ago, I thought, no, this is too good to be true. Like, what's the catch? And now a few years later, we're sitting for coffee. And, and she said, like, I, you're doing it. You're, you know, I, we know your, their, your clients, the people you're working for, they think that you are just like, what are they? There's a saying like the best thing since, I don't know. Anyways, they're, they're, they're happy. And to me, and, and, you know, I know to my team as well, that's the ultimate um, measure of success is our, our clients thriving? Are they feeling less stressed and more Mm. excited about the work? Are they funding new things that they're excited about? So those are really, you know, just two recent examples. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those. Like I, I, I look at, and I've been doing this for a few years now and I've got to know a lot of the really impactful small charities out there. And I think kind of by definition, those that go and have the courage um, to start something uh, like that, to fill the gap. They found a problem they're really passionate about because you have to have passion and courage to go and do something like that. Mm-hmm. But often they're missing that gap, right? They're just going to fill that hole. They're doing it all themselves. But to scale that, you need a whole new skill they never even thought that they would need, which is raising money. And, and you're coming in and filling that gap. So that is so cool to hear those stories and the impact that um, your business is having. Now, just a quick question here. So you do, your organization is a business, but it's a B Corp. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a B Corp. So we certified, I think about two years ago, uh, which is a process where we, they have a number of sort of points of evaluation and they look at your commitment to your people, the planet, uh, purpose. And so we went through that process to be certified. We, we know a little bit about it or Damien knows a lot more than I do because we're going through the same process. Uh, ah. <laughs> we, we started a volunteer app to try and fill a gap that we, we saw that lots of businesses want to have their staff volunteer in the community, but they uh, don't know how to do it or it's a ton of work to organize and track all that stuff. So um, we found the best way to sustainably do it, or we hope anyways, is to make it a business. Have the ones that we're providing value to pay for um, the infrastructure. Um, So we're setting it up as a business, but it's going to be a B Corp. So we're, we're going to be giving a lot of it back to the community and keep just enough of it to be sustainable to grow. Yeah. No, it's, it was an interesting process for us or decision-making process, because, um, I, I wanted to still be a business. I didn't want to turn ourselves into a nonprofit, um, for a number of reasons. Uh, but this, the B Corp really spoke to me in terms of, you know, a signal to our clients, to our community that we're motivated more by more than just the bottom line, which it sounds like you are too. 
what are some important stats that we should know about and how far your guys' impact is really driven towards the community? Oh my goodness. So we, that's such a great question. We track impact. And in fact, that's part of our B Corp uh, mm-hmm. sort of commitment is we look at how much we're raising for organizations. Last I checked, we were, since we started about six and a half years ago, we've raised over $9 million for small organizations. I believe all of them are Canadian as well. Uh, we've also taught fundraising to, I would say a few hundred, probably about 300 people now. Um, and again, that that's international, but looking at how we, so much of it is the mindset, right? Like the thing is, I've gone around my whole career with this label as fundraiser. So I know, and I've been, people have, you know, I'll meet someone and their first reaction is either, oh, that's really hard. I really admire you for doing that hard work or their reaction is, oh, I'm sorry, I have no money. And there's a huge, huge misunderstanding of fundraising which leads to this reluctance that so many people have and the scarcity mindset and a lot of stuff that comes up. There's also a huge underlying undervaluing of nonprofit work in society. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would say my personal mission, like while our our corporate mission is uh, to help other people fund their missions, my personal mission is to get people to really change their mindset around fundraising and learn that it's not about pitching. It's not about selling your soul. It's not about doing like bending over backwards to please donors. Like there's so many myths that we think of when we think of fundraising and almost all of them, I don't want to say all of them, but um, Mm -hmm. for sure, almost all of them are not true and they're Mm -hmm. harmful to our work. Can you give us an example of the one that comes up the most? Oh, okay. So <laughs> there's so many. And that's really the, my book dives into a lot of these and also into the brain science behind why we have these beliefs yep. um, and how we can change that. Because uh, that for me was an aha moment before I answer your question. Like, it, you know, we always, I feel like I'm, I, I give people such small and simple things like just do this one thing. And you don't even know you're fundraising, but you're fundraising. We hear that a lot, you know, just, you know, invite someone out to something or sell a ticket or do these things. And we wonder why people don't do these very seemingly easy tasks. And usually it's because of our mindset. And so examples of mindset that comes up, uh, there's, there's, there's a lot. Um, definitely the undervaluing of, um, of our work, right. We don't want to pay for staff. We can't ask for funds to pay for staff. We can't educate donors on paying for staff. Um, the haves versus the have nots is such a big one. So when people hear the word fundraising, they're, they're imagining big checks, like physically those big checks, which also represent a lot of money and I'll sit around a board table and I will ask, I've, you know, who do we know? Who do you know who you think would be interested in supporting this cause? And they say, I don't know anyone who can give now who can give is a myth. As I said before, in one of those examples, everyone can give. 
but we have these assumptions around what philanthropy looks like, certainly in, in, you know, modern capitalist societies. And it's, uh, it's very much tied to the size of the donation, not the act of giving. Mm -hmm. And that is not true. Uh, so that's one of the most pervasive ones. I love that. I want to back up one second. I've never done this before on this podcast, but over $9 million since you've started <laughs> and all the good that's going to do. Can we just do a quick virtual high five? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Love it. Thank you. On your book, uh, Raise It, um, it looked like in the summary I read, there's four types of fundraisers. We have the uh, perfectionist, the wounded, the idealist, and the acrobat. Those are what I want people to move away from. Those yeah. are the reluctant fundraisers. And yeah. I actually, I will say the perfectionist one, uh, I think I resonate most with in mm. other parts of my life, not necessarily fundraising. Um, the idea behind that is, you know, a lot of us are in the sector because we've been frontline workers, we're subject matter expertise, we've spent, especially executive directors often spend years doing the work and are promoted or, or grow within organizations to leadership roles, or they found organizations based on their skill set. they're really good at doing something, right, of doing the work, or board members are recruited because they're a lawyer, or because they have, they're an accountant, or they have a skill set that they're super confident in. And a lot of us are like that. We have the things that we're good at and the things that we're not so good at. And we think that those are innate separation that that we're naturally good at these things and naturally not good at things like fundraising mm -hmm. and we don't like to do the things that we're not good at that's how our brain works we like to stay safe and in our lane mm -hmm. but if we actually uncover how we got good at those things it's really through repetition and practice and learning and so when I say I've been fundraising for 20 years and that's all I know how to do, it's the same as a lawyer saying I've been a lawyer for 20 years. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do a lawyer. I, I can learn to be a lawyer just like anyone can learn to be a fundraiser, but we don't like to be in that uncomfortable space of not being good at things because we're so used to being experts. So that one I can absolutely relate to in other parts of my life where I like to to be good at the things mm. we all like to, right? And, yeah. yeah. So I, but they're all, um, they're all very common. And most people, those, um, those archetypes show up. Usually most of us have one or two or a combination of a few of them um, in, in how we show up to fundraising. Yeah. I mean, that's what I figured. I, I thought that um, you'd be working with one of, at least one of these and each person you work with and who's the yeah. easiest to coach through. I'm curious though, what's an acrobat? So the acrobat is probably the most common, but probably the hardest to work through. Imagine an acrobat in a circus, right? Like they're doing all these like crazy contortions and tricks and tools just to like do their thing. And mm -hmm. running a nonprofit can be a lot like being an acrobat, especially a small one. You there, you wear many hats, you have many responsibilities, you don't have a lot of support. And so people's days often feel like they're sort of doing all these contortions to get things done and, and really, you know, 
balance all of the things. And so that is very common in small organizations. Uh, and the reality is like, we have to change how we work. Uh, a lot of the acrobat, um, a lot of the times with the acrobat, I hear excuses like I don't have time to fundraise. I have all these other things, but usually uh, how they work, productivity, which is a loaded term because a lot of people don't understand what productivity is. It's not just adding more work; it's actually doing work and more effectively. Um, and so, you know, looking at how we use our time, how we use our days making decisions about what we don't do anymore and letting go of things are, are very helpful for the acrobat, but it's very hard for us to do that. It's hard to change those habits. It's hard to let go of things, um, that keep us comfortable. So that's, that's the acrobat. Very, very common. So important in, in small business and in small charity, you just can't scale beyond a certain point. If you're doing everything, if you can't let go you're not going to grow any bigger because eventually you can't do everything. Exactly. And, uh, and you know, we like, we like control. I like control. (laughs) It's scary. It's It's scary scary. to release control of a certain area. I've been through that, uh, many times. Um, Damien, you got a a question? Yeah. I just want to, I want to go into this sort of direction here is, you know, you talk about over 20 years, that's, that's so long and that's fantastic but I'm sure at some point you reach a tipping point, you know, do I want to continue going in this direction or do I want to try something different that can still leverage my skill set? And you could have chosen to go into sales or some marketing or found another skill set that related to fundraising, but you stuck with it. Um, why is that? Uh, I, I love it. I truly love it. Um, I really enjoy fundraising. Uh, all of it. I love major gifts. I love, direct appeal. <laughs> I'm such a nerd. Um, it's, I, I will say like starting a business actually has been the most, it, it has given me those new challenges where I, I haven't had that in fundraising. And I really appreciate and enjoy that. I like being able to do marketing and business development. So there's similar skills, but uh, not quite the same, but at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, I really do feel called to this work in a weird way. I, it just feels like it's in my DNA. Um, I, I can't, I don't know what else I would do that. What else that would get me out of bed every morning with the energy that I, I have, even when I'm tired, uh, or burnt out, I am very much energized by the work and by our clients and the community. And so, um, yeah, it, it has very much felt like I'm, I'm in the right place. Uh, Cindy, our goal on this podcast is inspire others that are listening to this to get out and, and try something, do something, feel that sense of duty that you clearly feel. So uh, those of you that are listening, just hear Cindy's energy and, and vigor for life. This is when you give back to your community. Um, so so good. You're very inspirational, um, for taking that on and not thinking about, cause like you, we see how articulate, energetic, um, and educated you are MBA. Um, you could be in a private career making more money, but you've chosen this and obviously it's paying off for you in other areas, um, in yeah. these really cool ways. 
Yeah. And my, don't get me wrong. I make a living, right? I have two kids. <laughs> I live in Toronto. I have like, you know, downtown, we're, we're right in the city. I make money uh, of course. In, to. enough to live. Yeah. Uh, and, and be comfortable and, and have the life that I want to live as well. And that's been, I mean, it's been interesting going into consulting. Um, one of the things that it's allowed me to do is still make a living while helping the organizations yeah. I'm most excited about. I was at the university before I was making good money there as well, but it didn't light me up in the same way. And so we found a way that, or I've found a way to do this work, uh, do the exact kind of work I want to be doing and still be able to provide for my kids and, and, you know, build the life that I want to have with my husband and family. And as always, Cindy, like to wrap up here with our final question, uh, which is what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? So that is such a hard question to answer because I, I feel like there's kindness all around and I feel very lucky to be surrounded by it. I mean, I could, I could list off so, so many examples from my family to my network. I'm going to give one that I think was instrumental to me starting the, the good partnership. Uh, and that's my mentor, Lori Wilcox, uh, who approached me when I was about a job actually, but then helped me navigate that as my first consulting client. So she really is the reason I started consulting um, and started consulting in a way that felt uh, really empowering. I had great, she was a great role model and I really, her kindness in guiding me and giving me so much time and championing me, uh, especially in those early days is truly forever changed my course uh so i would i will say it's her <laughs> giving time it's the common theme uh cindy so much uh, thank you so much for giving your time with us here today everyone um i feel so inspired i hope you guys do as well uh, watching and talking to somebody that's found their sense of duty uh and using their skills to give back to the community thank you so much cindy thank you so much for having me